0: Let's take our Bibles, let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12, we're going to continue. We've rounded the corner in the story of David, the fall and rise of King David. And uh, we are, we've are we rounded the corner in that at least he has been confronted concerning his sin. He's got a long way to go. And something has, has told me that I realize we're moving at a snail's pace through this story. And there's a pool. You can feel it. Something new. Something clickbait. Never seen. You know, person drinks a soda and instantly regrets it. You know, things like that. Um, we're used to that type of thing. And just click on another one and 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 another one. And another one, and another one. And when you come to the Word of God, it it slows things down. But what it does, and what I found going through this series, is that it makes you realize that there is a lot more going on than maybe I want to admit when it comes to sin. When I am sinning, things are much deeper than I would like to admit. And so slowing this whole process down makes us realize what actually is happening in the heart of the sinner In the heart of those he sins against, in the heart of those he sins with, and most importantly, the one that the sinner sins against. We've got to recognize how serious it is and grave. We can't be Christians who live like everyone else and we go to heaven. While we're on this earth, Jesus Christ intends to change us, to conform us to his image And to feel about sin the way he feels about sin. He really wants us to be changed into that. And so that's why, as we go through, I want you to think about your sin. When you sin against God, what does it do? We saw last week in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7, it says, And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. You can imagine this hammer of truth smashes David in the head. it's like the the dam has burst and all the floodwaters of guilt and shame and fear are are flooding over David's head. And he's falling down, as it were, into this canyon of guilt and shame. Have you ever been there before? Notice he says in verse number 7, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel. And I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house, and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. The first point tonight is this. Our sin is against a good God. A good God. He has been very kind to us. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Nathan does not begin with David's sin here. He starts with the one that David sinned against. He said, God, this is what God's telling you, David. I anointed you king. I gave you this position. I gave you the gifts that you enjoy. And after all of that and more, I I would I would have given you more. But you sinned against me. Let me, how long would the list be of the things that God has blessed you with in your life? I would be embarrassed if God put pen to paper and said, here's the list. The idea that I could sin against a God that kind. Have you ever seen a, a marriage in which one spouse was faithful, compassionate, and loving? sacrificial not perfect but obviously invested in the marriage and the other spouse decided that they didn't care it's bad enough of the sin of adultery that that sin's bad enough but it makes it even worse when one side has invested so much how do you think god feels he's given so much to us but it's like The Garden of Eden, all of creation is given to Adam, but Adam just wants the one tree that's forbidden. And why is it forbidden? Because God wants him to be kept from sin and the results of sin. That's why God forbade it, not because he didn't love Adam. All the blessings had been given to David, and all he wants is that one woman that he can't have. And we think about all the good things that God has bestowed on our lives. And we reach for that which is only forbidden because it would bring harm in our lives. The sin itself is not the great transgression, it is the person against whom we sin. That's the biggest thing. You know, if we were to disobey the devil, that's not a big deal, right? It would make sense. He's an evil being, and he's real. But he, he doesn't love you, he doesn't care about you. So disobeying him, that you'd be I mean you'd be well within your rights. How about this? How about you were in a in, in a, a prison and you were being tormented by the guards? To rebel against someone like that, it would make sense. Why? They're evil. They want what's what's terrible and horrible. They, they want to hurt you. Of course, it would be wise to try to get away from all that pain. But, but we're talking about God. Not the God of your mind, but the God of the Bible, who daily loadeth us with benefits. You know, the biggest problem is recognizing that we are truly sinning against God. If we could get that down, that's why he said the greatest commandment is not, thou shalt not sin. The great commandment is thou shalt love the Lord thy God. With all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy mind. That's the big commandment. Because if you would love God for who he is. And allow who he is to change who you are. Then you you wouldn't be struggling with this sin. You know what happens though. We just get distracted. We forget. We take him for granted. We act as if we deserve it. But you know. Whenever the lights go off, the power goes off in the house. You know, my first thought, I haven't been appreciating electricity like I should. Because it's a privilege to have electricity. Now, I understand it's my right as an American. And somebody's going to hear about this. I'm sure a very helpful comment that will help them restore the electricity to the house. We We don't deserve electricity. It's a privilege, and I thank God for the folks who work hard to provide that for us and to maintain it on a stormy night. They're out there working all night long to restore power. But, you know, sometimes we think, because it's so good, I deserve it. Because it's so helpful. How could I ever live my life? But hold on a second. We take for granted the very God who is good to us. And we go so far to say, I deserve that God is good to me all the time. Isn't that backwards? Isn't that like a child getting mad at a parent on Christmas morning? Because in spite of all the gifts that have piled up, there's one gift that's all I asked for. That's all I really wanted. What do you think it makes a parent feel like? How many times in our lives... Do we look at the sin in our hearts and, and say, no, 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 okay, yeah, if you're going to call that sin, then what about what she does, and what about what he, we're not even thinking about how it affects God, our anger, our envy, our lying, stealing, that we, that we do what we don't call it stealing, Right? There's so many things that if we were to stop and think about, if God were sitting in this room right now, would I do what I'm doing? May I remind you, he is sitting in the room right now. He said, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. He is there. So learning to, to love God will help us, learning to appreciate who God is and realize that God has been good to us, will help me to overcome my sin. You say, well, I've had it for so long, there's nothing I can do about it. Well, you can go back and ask yourself, if I were Jesus, would I be struggling with this sin? You say, well, that's not fair. That's not a fair comparison. Hey, he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Why? Why? Because he always did those things that pleased his father. So instead of him making the call as to what he wanted to do, he said, Father, I'm going to let you make the call. This is a radical concept that could change your life. Believer, are you hearing me? I want to do what pleases God. Not what pleases me. You know what people do? They, 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 they kind of compartmentalize it, and, and believers will say, I want to do what pleases God with my vocation. Like when I come up to make a decision, I don't know what to do, so I want to please God. Well, you ought to please God in that. But if you only save God for the really, really big things in your life, then who are you pleasing in the rest of the stuff? I, I, I think sometimes the superstition is, I don't want to displease God in this major thing, because then my, wife, my life would be miserable. If I miss it on this one, I'm going to be upset. So we say that I'm worried about displeasing God. Really, it's by proxy, I'm really worried about displeasing me in the long run. Because if I make the wrong choice, God's not going to be happy, and he's going to make my life miserable, as if God has ever made your life miserable. How about this? God, I want to do what pleases you. I'm not going to read the tea leaves. I'm not going to buy a magic eight ball or get a tarot card or, 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 or put out a fleece. Now, I'm, I, I, I don't mean to kick at your idols here, but God never told Gideon to put out a fleece. God worked with him and God will work with you. If there's something that you need and you're determined to have it and you have to know, God, give me a sign or whatever, I think God will work with you. But I don't think, I think God is condescending to our weakness in that. That's not really a thing of faith. It's not a show of great trust in the Lord. It's a tarot card. God God worked with him. Hey, Samuel appeared to Saul when the witch called him up. Didn't Samuel come up? The witch at Endor said, hey, Samuel, can you come and talk to Saul? And what did he... He told Samuel... What was going, he told Saul, rather, Samuel told Saul what was going to happen, and it did happen. But that doesn't mean it was of God. See, we have to be careful that we don't get too sidetracked in trying to use God's power for our lives. How about this? Lord, I don't know, just guide me and I'll, I'll, I'll do what you want. And if you don't tell me explicitly, I'm going to take steps and I'm just going to say, Lord, are you okay with this? You okay with this? You okay with this? But, you know, it takes a lot more effort. It takes more of a daily seeking God to do that than it does to just have a real intense seven-day fast and get it over with so you can forget about God for the next 10 years. I'm not trying to to be mean, and I know sometimes it can sound facetious, but I've seen a lot of nonsense in Christians' lives because they're trying to use God for their purposes rather than enjoying who God is. And falling in love with what he loves. And if you're trying to do what God wants you to do, you're you're interested in what God's interested in, you're going to make a lot fewer mistakes. You're not going to take paths that are going to lead you to destruction. God is not up there trying to hide himself on purpose and deceive you and trick you like some kind of pagan deity. Yes, he is a God that hides himself. Just like your spouse Will hide himself or herself just to have some space and to get you to come after him. That's what God does. So your sin, number one, is something that displeases God. And when you learn that that God can be pleased or displeased with me, I can start filtering through my. So I'm listening to music in my car and I'm loving it. It's feeling great. But then I wonder, Lord, are you okay with this music? And if the first thought in my mind is, well, nobody can show me in the Bible. I know people listen to worse music. You, why are you saying that? Why, why is that where you're going? What about what pleases you, God? Well, I, well I'm going to take this substance and I'm going to put it in my body. You can't show me in the Bible where it says marijuana is a sin. Okay. Okay, you're right. The word marijuana does not appear. Alright? So what does that mean? That means you can do whatever you want as long as it doesn't say it in the Bible. Right? You know how foolish that is? That is a child's way of saying that mom says, clean your room. And you come back and, 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 and she comes back and the room is not clean. And you say, well, I cleaned. And you say, well, you didn't, you didn't put your socks away. Your socks are on the floor. Well, you didn't say, put my socks away. And then you know what mom's going to do? She's going to start speaking very monosyllabically. And if it was my mom, it would be, it would be connected with that, that wood music that we used to listen to. Zing, zing, zing. And it would be, I have told you not to do, Right? That was back in the old days when you used to spank kids, right? Aren't you glad we're so much better? And the kids are so much better today. Now that we've gotten rid of all that stuff, right? It's craziness, isn't it? You know, you know, the reason why, because we want to do what we want to do, and the only one we'll listen to is someone that smacks us. That's not the relationship God wants to have with you. If the only time you ever hear from God is when God has you on your face in a puddle of tears, crying out because you've committed some sin, and the the feeling and the weight of guilt is so heavy, you can't bear it anymore. Hey, listen, God will meet you in that place. And I'm thankful for that. God will show mercy and compassion on you. And it's better to come to God there than, than to not come at all. But that's not what he wants to do with you all the time. He doesn't want to constantly be in a position of having to smack you around. Hey, idiot, stop. He wants to have fun with you. Fun, who gets to define? He does. We do always those things that please him. What do you want me to do, God? You're deathly afraid that if you release your definition of a fun life into God's hands, he is going to ruin it. And I'm here to tell you, you don't know God. You've got to learn that God loves you and God can bring more fun into your life than you... He invented fun. The Bible says, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. You know who invented humor? God. God invented fun. But it's got to be done His way. And you tell me what's fun about puking your guts out because you got drunk last night. You know why people do it? Because everybody else does it. And because they're trying to forget something that happened. They're trying to forget that they're alive. Why would you want to live a life where you're trying to forget that you're alive? Why would you want to live a life where you're constantly trying to escape, escape, escape? You see, God says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That more abundant life is not so you can live the life you want to live. It's to live a life that pleases him. He said, I blessed you. I gave this, 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 and this to you. You've sinned against me. He says in verse number 9, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse number 9, Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You see, now he brings in the idea of commandment. He doesn't start with commandment. He talks about all the good things that he gave David. And then he says, Wherefore hast thou despised not just disobeyed the commandment of the Lord, despised it. I don't despise it, God. I mean, I think your law, your words are good. I mean, I got nothing against the Bible, okay? I got nothing against the Bible. But I'm going to do what I jolly well please. I I mean, the Bible's a great book at all, don't get me wrong. It's a good book. But I'm just going to do my own thing. And the Lord says here, it's not just that you disobeyed it, it's that you hated it. I didn't hate it. See, that's where we get into a disagreement with God. I, I didn't hate the sin, I, the, hate that stuff. Uh, your Bible, Lord, your words, your commandments, thou shalt not commit a dog. I didn't hate that stuff. It's just that, you know, she was good looking. Lord said, no, you despise the commandment. You see, our flesh is so wicked that it feels so good to do what we want. And God is saying, you hate what I said. You absolutely hate it, and we want to argue. We go toe to toe with God. No, I don't hate it. I don't hate your word, God. I love you. You've been good to me. You've shown me grace. But in this area, I'm going to do what I want to do. It's nothing against you, God. Don't listen. Nothing against you. I mean, we got divorced, but we still hang out. Okay? That's the way we, the culture we live in. Weird with a beard. Look, God, I, I mean, I love your word. I revere it and I'm going to salute it and bow down and you're great and all that. But this one is just for me. This area of my life is just for me. You hate God's word. That's what he said. You hate it. Now, I know this is, I know this is tough to hear because all of us like to think, well, I don't hate. I just, why are you pulling against God? There's going to come a point in your life where you're going to have to say, I'm either going to live by this book, or I'm going to live by whatever I feel like. And it would be better, it would be better for you to stop pretending the rest of your life that you love God's word, just go out and say, I don't believe it anymore. Now those people that do that, they're going to have a miserable life and a difficult life. But don't think for a minute that Christians who sit in church and despise the commandment of the Lord don't have a miserable life. They do as well. They just have constant angst. They're constantly two dogs fighting inside all the time, all the time, all the time, trying to kill one another. He said, you despise the command of the Lord. To despise the commandment of God means this. Our sin shows uh, shows others and God what we think of God. We sin because we accept or we delight in that which comes short of the glory of God. Now, this is really tough sailing because I could give you a list of stuff that you shouldn't be watching, you shouldn't be drinking, you shouldn't be smoking. I could give you a whole list of that kind of stuff. But as 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 American Christians, we, we've we been very well trained to know that we can get around all that stuff because we have parents and grandparents, especially especially second-generation Christians. We can get around all that stuff. We have ideas and all. Okay, let me give you one that you can't get around. Does God love what you insist on doing? Be careful, you could be changing the God of the Bible. You could be making another God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. If the God of the Bible doesn't love what you're doing, then maybe you should back off and say, you know what, Lord, even if I don't think this is a sin, I'm going to let you determine that. I'm going to let you decide that for my family. Do you want this in our house? Do you want this in my ears? Do you want this in my mouth? Do you want that going into my eyes? Lord, I'll let you decide. You're the God who who I'm supposed to be pleasing, supposed to be loving you. You decide. Despising the commandment shows what we think of God. If we truly loved God, we would fulfill his law, and we would find his orders pleasant. Now, there's something in my flesh that when I think about that, I think any God who loved me would would understand what I need, what, what I must have. If he loved me, he would let me do what I want, right? Any parent knows that old, that old dog won't hunt very long. Why? Because your kids think they know what's going to make them happy, and you actually know that what they want will not make them happy. It'll make them miserable. And you have to put a line in the sand and say, this is where I stand. I'm sorry. I know you're going to hate me. I know you're not going to want to talk to me. You're going to give me the cold shoulder. But I know this is true, and so I'm not going to budge from right here. Parents, let me encourage you. You've got to stand there. You've got to stand there. Discipline should not be based on whether or not mom or dad is mad. It should be based on have they disobeyed a guideline that they were given. That's what you should discipline your kids for. It should not be a punishment that whenever dad gets mad or mom gets irritated and exasperated, that's the sin that we should not commit. Now listen, we all get there, but aren't you glad God doesn't do that? God doesn't call it a sin just because he gets mad. He's not a capricious God who just arbitrarily decides to throw a fit because he's having a bad day. He's given us in writing exactly what pleases him and displeases him, and it's not that difficult. You just have to want to please him. You just have to want to follow him. So despite the commandment, he said godliness, here, here's the thing. The rules that we find so binding are only so because our delights are outside of his revealed will. It only hurts to obey God because it means I have to stop doing what I want and start doing what he wants. Oh, Ah. Oh man I don't understand as I speak to my wife I'm listen I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say anything appropriate to her I'm I I just want to talk to her well you have me as a wife listen I'm not gonna commit adultery okay I'm just talking to her what's the big deal why, why are you so upset? Why are you freaking out? Why are you raging on me? I'm not doing anything. I'm just talking to her. You know what my wife knows? And by the way, that's a hypothetical scenario. Just so you know. Praise the Lord. All gr- glory to God, not, not glory to me. The grace of God in my life. That's a hypothetical situation. But you know what my wife would know instinctively? She knows it's a matter of time. Once someone has my heart, I might as well be gone. Once a sin has your heart, there's no telling how far you'll go. So you've got to be careful that God has your heart. Give him your heart. And if you're finding yourself arguing, saying, I'm not doing anything, you're doing something. The heart is deceitful. We've got to be careful. There's something in us that likes to say, look, ah, ah. but the Lord said his commandments are not grievous. Well, this one feels like it It's because you're going the wrong way. If the cat is his fur is rubbed the wrong way, they say, turn the cat around. If If your life feels like God is always on you, how about turning your life around? God's not trying to destroy you any more than your wife is trying to destroy your life by keeping your heart from going somewhere else. She loves you. She's invested in you. God loves you infinitely more and has invested infinitely more in you. He's trying to keep you from destroying yourself. And by the way, he wants your love. He likes you. He's interested in you. You say, well, that's not the God of the... Oh, absolutely, it's the God of the Bible. Where does the concept come of of love between a man and a woman? Attraction. came from God. Why? God is the one who invented love, and he wants to love you. He does love you, and he wants you to love him back. But he wants exclusivity. He doesn't want to share you with everything else and everyone else. He wants you and you alone. What a God. So what you got to do is you got to develop contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So if what I really want is outside the known will of God, well, what's the known will of God? Right here. It's the known will of God. If what I really want is outside of what this book will allow, I've got to learn contentment. I've got to stop. I need to learn to behave and quiet myself as a little child. Okay, so I can't have any candy right now. What am I going to do? Parents, you can do your kids a great service by helping them understand that there are some lines that will not be crossed, and it doesn't matter how much they throw a fit, they're not getting what they want. It's, It's not just a matter of you getting your way. It's a matter of you helping that child for the rest of his life. They will be a better person for learning that lesson. So you have to come back and say, okay, God doesn't want me to have that. God doesn't want me to be able to live in that type of house or have that kind of car. Maybe I don't have the greatest personality or I don't have the strength that I want to have. There's something that I, if I could just get to that place of serenity in my heart, I would be happy. Well, I can't have that. So what am I going to do? I'm going to be content with where God has me right now. With the health I have, the money I have, the family I have, I'm going to be content right now. Godliness With contentment is great gain. You want to invest in a stock? Here's a stock that will bring back a lot of returns. Contentment. Contentment. Because if most of your life is longing for, searching for a book, a YouTube video, a guru, a friend, Someone to help you fix the gnawing sense of of restlessness and something that's just not right. If you're spending your energy and investing in that, how much is that given back to you? What's the return on that? It's more angst, more anxiety, more depression. But when you invest in the Lord, when you say, Lord, I believe that you love me and that where I am is not perfect, and I've got things I need to work on, but you have me here right now, and I'm going to breathe in and out. And when my flesh says, we've got to do something, we got to go somewhere, we've got to buy something, we got to go, do, buy, talk, something, I'm going to say, no, we don't. We're going to relax, and we're going to love our God. But what if? It well, God can figure all that out. But right now? I'm going to be content. There's a lot of return on that investment. You could have a happy week. Your 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 life could be decent this week. Not great. That'll never happen. Amen. But it could be decent. I'm I'm saying that facetiously because I I I, I, I think. So I have such high visions of what I should feel and how I could be. And she looks so like she's loving life. And I just want to live. Well, how about being content? And just loving your God. Lastly, tonight, notice he says in verse nine, wherefore, hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? That's the third point. Our sin is seen by God. David looked down from the roof, roof and he saw Bathsheba. He looked out and he saw Uriah, the, sir, the soldier, fulfilling his duty. He looked to Joab, said, Joab, hey, take care of some business for me. Joab, lo- uh, David looked around a lot, but he never looked up. But God was looking down. If he had looked up, he would have seen, like Peter saw when he was warming his hands at the fire, he would have seen God's eyes looking straight through him. Something to keep in mind, people talk about as if God lives at church, and I think it's an important place, and it's set aside for the worship of God. If you could remember something, maybe this would help you. Whatever sin you're struggling with, it's as if You are doing that sin in this auditorium. With all these people here, but better yet, God himself here. God sees our sin. Our sin is in his sight. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. God created Adam and Eve naked. They're the ones that came up with the concept of clothes. And the Lord said, those clothes are going to wear away. Let me give you a substitute that's died for your covering. And he used it as an example. But as far as God's concerned, he doesn't see everyone clothed. He sees everything about us. We would be ashamed for anyone to see us without clothes on. And rightfully so. There's something about the sin nature The fall of man and the shame connected with nakedness that is is very important. But God sees us as we are all of the time. Those times when we shrink away, hide, get into a cave, get into a side room, into a closet, into the basement, into the attic. Just understand that every time you sneak away, every time you try to hide something, God's right there with you saying, what are we doing up here? What are we doing down here? God sees it all. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Despite all of David's efforts to hide his sin, the Lord saw it all. And now it's time for accounting. God knows about the adultery. God knows about the murder. He always did. David had just spent a year forgetting to look up. And now God came to him. When you break it down, it's very simple. Number one, we have to learn to love the God who has blessed us. shouldn't be very hard. Except the the difficult thing is that we have to learn to love a God who loves us in his way. Not in our way. He loves us as he loves us. We've got to learn to love the God who has blessed us. Number two, we have to learn to be content with what he has given us. Those blessings... Are what he has for us. Be content with that. Be grateful for that. And number three, remember, our ways are not hidden from his eyes. He sees. Love, contentment, and awareness of God's eyes. If we will do those things, the God of all grace can teach us how to live an abundant, overflowing with love life. If you've got angst in your heart tonight, you've got a major concern, a problem. Maybe it's of your own doing. Maybe it's something that it it just happened. It's a health problem, financial, whatever it might be. I want to encourage you. Run towards the God who has blessed you. And be happy with your lot. Say, Lord, help me to be content where I am right now. And remember, God sees it all. He's not there to judge and and, and drop you down into the pit of hell. He's not trying to destroy you. He's trying to bring you to a place where you enjoy him and his love. Let's bow our heads in prayer.